Thank you, Lord. We glorify you and we magnify you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. Thank you for the blood. For without the shedding of that blood, there is no remission of sin. We thank you for the blood. We plead the blood over every sick body right now. We plead the blood over confused minds right now. We can plead the blood over marriages right now. Thank you, Lord. We plead the blood. The blood. It's our access to everything that you provided for us. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. That spotless blood poured out for us. To cut a new covenant, a better covenant, based on better promises. Not a covenant cut on the blood of animals, but a covenant cut. The spotless blood of God made flesh. The blood of God and the blood of man together in one. Making a binding covenant between God and man. Through the one man, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. For the blood. Thank you, Lord. We glorify and magnify Jesus. That blood is alive, sprinkled right now. Right in your presence. Right before you, Father, is the blood of Jesus. That which reconciled us. We thank you for the blood. Thank you for the blood. Shed for every single person here. To bring relationship. And through that relationship, victory. Over every situation of life. Thank you for the blood. We thank you for your word. Thank you Lord. For giving us your word. Communicating your word to us. I ask you for utterance to speak as we ought to speak this morning. As we hear your word. Holy Spirit you make it life to us. So powerful. It is life. We like Sometimes for a specific thought or word that we want. But you can take the word and make it life. In so many areas because it is alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing and penetrating the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. Quickening the spirit to bring life in every area. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're working to teach us, to guide us, to make the word alive unto us, that we would live it out. We would participate every day in that word, that in our generation right now, we would be living and walking and talking your word, stretching forth your hand, that signs and wonders would be wrought in Jesus' name. So we thank you on account of your word. 
we receive understanding. And with that understanding, we receive a boldness to step out, to live it every day. And in that, being a light to those around us. So we thank you for everything that will be accomplished by your word and by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Awesome. Welcome. We're so glad that you're here. Everybody joining us by live stream. We are glad that you are here this morning. I believe that God has some great things for us this morning. So why don't you say this with me? Say, thanks be unto God, who always causes me to triumph, who always causes me to triumph, to triumph in my body, to triumph in my finances, to triumph in my mind, to triumph in my marriage, to triumph in every area of my life. And in that triumph, he releases a fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere I go. Praise the Lord. You can be seated. Open your Bibles with me to Romans, the 12th chapter. Romans, the 12th chapter. I want to dive in here uh, to make some progress on uh, what we've been talking about, uh, the marriage mindset. And uh, so if you've been with us, uh, we've covered a number of different things here. And uh, we are uh, really talking about uh, 10 mindsets of marriage. Uh, and we've only really tapped into a couple of those. So I want to make some progress on those today. Uh, but our foundational text here, Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Somebody say, I'm ready. To present my body. Come on. He said present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable. Holy and acceptable to God. Which is our reasonable service. Some translations say our reasonable service of worship. As we said last week. Again he's talking about covenant terms. And when we're talking about the mindset of marriage. I think when we get done with this. We may talk a little bit more about covenant. Because whatever your mindset is about these important areas of relationship. Whether it be a mindset of money. A mindset of the church. It all has to do with covenant relationship. Where we've been disconnected from the idea of covenant. It's cost us. Thank you for your enthusiasm. It's cost us because we haven't really understood covenant. And when we do and we connect to covenant, every good thing that God has, we read about it. God doesn't want you to lack in any good thing. Yet we look and say, I'm lacking. Well, the only way we would be lacking in any good thing is a misunderstanding of covenant. And so in that, we've, we've certainly majored so much on God's love. We've needed to swing the pendulum. People thought they were unworthy, thought they were uh, useless in different areas. So we had to say how much God loves you. But in any covenant relationship, you know, make it appealing. We're not talking about religion, but we're talking about relationship. The only problem with that is most people have no idea what a good relationship is. So, we say, well, it's about relationship. Well, most of us think a good relationship is simply about how you treat me. If you treat me good, we'll have a good relationship. And so they come, as long as God's treating me good, I feel like I have a good relationship with God. But when things start not, well, it must not be working, I'll look for something else. But covenant is two-sided. It's two-sided. And God will always honor His covenant. 
But he says in order for covenant to work correctly, then you and I must honor covenant. And so even as we talk about that mindset in marriage, right? Sometimes in our mind, marriage gets one-sided, but it's about covenant. It's about both aspects. So when he says it's our reasonable service of worship, he said, listen, Jesus gave his life for us. Something we could not give his life. Say, well, it was free, so I shouldn't have to give my life. No, he gave his life to accomplish something your life couldn't accomplish. But once he gave his life and accomplished what you couldn't, you give your life to participate in what his life accomplished for you. But if you don't give your life to accomplish what his life accomplished for you, then you miss out on it. And so many are missing out simply because they don't give their life unto what Jesus gave his life for. So they're missing out on eternal life. They're just still living a natural life the best that they can because it's not infused with his life. But when we give our life a living sacrifice, the life that's already been given, our life enfolds into that life so that we're one even as he is one. Therefore, if God has it, we have it. If God does it, we do it. If God thinks it, we think it. And the Bible says all that, but we kind of miss it because we don't really understand covenant. Anyway. So, I mean, all this idea of healing has been done away with just disappears when you have a covenant mindset. Well, that was back then. Jesus did that. Jesus went around performing miracles. But wait a minute. He gave his life so I could fold into that same life. So his body still does miracle. Why? Because I'm in covenant with him. All right. We'll do that another time. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said it's time to renew or renovate the way that you think your mind So that you can prove what the will of God is. So that you can prove what the full will of God is. See, we spent time trying to find in the word what's acceptable, simply acceptable. What can I get away with and not get away with? Let me just find my favorite scriptures in the word to see what's acceptable. But really what he's saying there is get into the word of God so that you can prove what is the full will of God for your life. Not simply what is acceptable. But really, what is the complete will of God for our lives? How does that come? It comes from renewing our mind and getting brand new mindsets. All right. So just quickly for review, mindsets are this. It's a set of beliefs that shape how you make sense of the world and yourself. A set of beliefs. So what do you believe about the world God's called you to? What do you believe about yourself in that world? And so many people don't even know what to believe. We have identity crisis in the world. And if we have identity crisis in marriage, we're in trouble. If we have identity crisis in marriage, we're in trouble. If we don't esteem who we are in Christ highly, we're in trouble in our marriage relationship. Because the enemy can start to tell us who we are. We're not good enough. We don't measure up. 
We're, we're, we don't have the capability or the capacity with marriage and where it's going to do this. But once you know who you are in Christ, what marriage is, the covenant, your part to play, and you rely upon the grace of God. So what do you believe about the world, about yourself? We, we don't want to really get into what you believe about your spouse or others. Right now, what do you believe about yourself? Is it accurate concerning the Word of God? Is your belief about yourself? And then just to, to, to take another step, have you believed something about yourself and instead of looking in the mirror and saying, no, God lives in that person, have you taken that negative idea and begin to project it upon your spouse? Your insecurities, difficult to deal with, so the mirror image, we talk about looking in the mirror. But understand, marriage is really to be looking in the mirror. An opposite. And so often when we're looking in the mirror, we don't like what we see. We think it's them. But we're looking at things in us and we say, well, it must be in you. And in fact... Um, I'll have to get the author's name. In, in a book written on mindsets, it really just says in that fixed mindset about marriage, things are just the way they are. And so problems, really, you, you get to blaming things about the problem, and, 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 and blame comes into it. So you start to see my inadequacies. If it was just me, I could blame me. But since we're married, it's much easier to look at you and blame you. So then the problem will never get fixed. And so we have to renew our mind. It's a belief, a, a, a set of beliefs that shape how you make sense. We're just going to say, make sense of marriage and yourself. A mindset of marriage. How do you make sense of all this? It's in your mindset. It, um, this mindset, influences how you think, feel, and believe in any given situation. It means that you believe about what you believe about yourself impacts your success or your failure. Praise the Lord. So, how does God want us to think about certain things? So again, um, looking at mindsets and the fixed mindset, the growth mindset, there's so many of those things that, you know, we enter into in a fixed mindset in marriage, you know, young girls grow up. I had two girls uh, growing up, and so I've seen about every Cinderella movie that there ever is to see, and you know, they have a lot of them. I mean, they have the old Cinderella, the new Cinderella, the Disney Cinderella, the black Cinderella, the Hispanic Cinderella. They have every Cinderella ever you could ever have. And I've seen about all of them. And so, you know, they all end with what? The screen closing. They're just standing there holding hands. And they lived happily ever after. So they say people with a fixed mindset just come in and they begin to think, if everything's just not going perfectly, there must be something wrong with us. If we're not simply living a happily ever after, there must be something wrong with us. And they get out of the marriage. Why? Because it's just fixed. Instead of working on it, we should just be happy. It should just find itself out. With that, you know, you start thinking, well, if we're really romantically in love, my husband should just know what I'm thinking. I mean, that's what love would do, right? Just know what I'm thinking. 
Dear Lord, half the time we don't know what we're thinking ourselves. How's our spouse supposed to know what we're thinking? Yet we get these expectations, and when they don't just know what we're thinking, somehow there must be something wrong with us. So we must not be compatible. Well, you get in those fixed mindsets. They set that way. You really believe that. Then it's very much a struggle. But when you look and say, you know what? My spouse doesn't understand me. She doesn't read my mind. Maybe we need to communicate. Oh, God forbid that we would communicate. But that's just part of understanding covenant. You don't think that God, God took such a care, such expense because he wants covenant with us to communicate with us. He put his spirit who knows everything about him and everything about his will for your life. He put his spirit on the inside of you. He had that spirit breathe upon men to write down his word for us to understand. Then he put gifts in men to communicate that word. You think God wants to communicate what he thinks about you, what his plan for you is? He's done everything to do what? Communicate to us. Why? Because in covenant, we have to know how we're going to flow together as one in that communication. So we have to be careful to not be conformed to this world and the fixed mindsets that tell us whether we can make it or not. And we begin to get mindsets that help us to grow and to increase. And so, you know, one of the fixed mindsets is that if you have a problem, then that says there's a flaw in you somewhere. If we have problems, there must be an issue with one of you somewhere. But our number one mindset is problems are opportunities. Problems are opportunities. Since two of us are one. Two of us are one. Let's just look at uh, Malachi chapter 2 for just a minute. Malachi chapter 2 from the Message Bible. It's one of our foundational texts, but I want to get it on the inside of you because he talks about this so much as a relationship of covenant, the Holy Spirit being involved so deeply uh, within our our marriage. He says, and here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you do not get what you want from God. Do you know why? Do you know why? Simple. So listen, if you've been praying a lot and not getting, seeming to have a connection, connection with God, and you're married, Begin to begin to look at what we're talking about. How's your marriage? So, well, I'm not married, so I can't look at that. Then begin to look at your relationships, your covenant relationships, your family relationships, your relationship with God, your relationship with the church. How's that going? Those are all covenant relationships that God ordained. He set up. I know we think some of them don't matter. But that's how the word, you know, the world tries to creep in on situations. He said it's simple because God was there as witness when you spoke your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. Last week, if you were here, we just opened up. We shared the vows really that I use in a marriage ceremony, but almost all of you uh, uh, spoke vows to one another. And so often, 
we go down the road of marriage and we forget the vows that we made to each other. Any of you remember your vows? Praise the Lord. One, two. So that just tells us we're in big trouble. Maybe we should have a mass marriage and have vows to one another again. Because guess what? God hasn't forgotten your vows. God hasn't forgotten the vows that you made to each other. Why? Because he was right there. He was right there. You know the power of that? People who don't even really have that much belief in God want to have a church wedding. I mean, sometimes people decide to get married. They don't even go to church, but they start coming to a church because they want to get to know the pastor and they want the pastor to perform the ceremony in a church. There's something on the inside of us that recognizes that it's so important. It's a covenant. Yet we don't renew our mind to that. So we, we go through that process. So we think, and again, we get a mindset. I did it right. I had it in church. I did it before God. Everything should work out. But no, it, it, God, when you invoke God in that, God was there. God was listening to the vows that you made to love, to honor, to forgive in good times, in bads, in sickness, and in health, richer or poorer, whatever it was. When you made all those vows, God was right there. And he said, now listen, don't cheat on those vows. There's that one of not being there, not being faithful, maybe stepping out of your marriage with the person. But there's just places where you said, well, listen, I'll love you and you stop loving or I'll forgive you and you stop forgiving then you're cheating on your vow. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details. I love that. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of angel armies says, I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh marriage. So watch yourself. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. You make God tired with all your talk. How do we tire him out? You ask by saying God loves sin, sinners and sin alike. God loves all. And also by saying judgment, God is too nice to judge. In other words, there's a whole general attitude going away from covenant uh, relationship with God and how that works. Uh, we just make a mindset that makes it easy for us. God's not going to judge us. He loves everybody just the same. No big deal. And he says, you started to go away from the very principles of what it means to be joined to the God of the universe. And this is reflected in marriage. Now understand this because some people get this wrong. He hates divorce. If you've been divorced, he doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate you. He hates divorce. And right here he's talking about some things. And Jesus, they asked Jesus about a letter of divorce. He explained it. We don't have time to go into that right now. But there are certain reasons. Some the divorce that took place, there was no reason, just misunderstanding of the covenant that you were in. But things happened because of that. There were things ripped apart. It wasn't the will of God. But God still loves you. God will reconcile. But uh, in that understanding, this covenant relationship is incredibly powerful. All right. So the first mindset we went over is problems are opportunities. Why? Because the two are better than one. 
right? If you fall down, marriage creates an opportunity to get back up. If you weren't married, you didn't have a companion, the Bible says, who's going to pick you up? If you, if you lay down, who's going to keep you warm? There's just a number of things, but there's always, what's the problem? I fell down, but there's a solution. You can get up. The problem is we, we're not making what we need to make financially. Well, together we can figure this out. Together, there's so many resources if we put, bring them together in our life, together the gifts and callings in my life, the gifts and callings in Tasha's life, cu- coupled together, wrapped around by the wisdom of God, gives us such potential that really God's plan is you cannot be defeated. Amen. Now, we look at statistically 50% of marriages end in divorce. So therefore, we're not understanding something. If a threefold cord is not easily broken, 50%, most people would say if it's only 50%, then it's pretty easily broken or it's pretty easily destroyed. But God said a threefold cord is not easily broken. So if we understand, listen, God has an answer to everything. God is the center. His spirit lives in both of us. We come together to fit together. We're not opposed to one another, but we are opposites. So we can fit together more securely in that strength. And so in marriage, in fixing a problem, you have to become engaged. I know people are like, Wait a minute, that was before marriage. Well, that's the problem. Most of us say we're engaged, but we're never really engaged. So really, God was speaking to me about this. You know, when you have a situation, you, you learn from that. So I have uh, my Bronco uh, that I was blessed with, and it's, an, it's a standard transmission. It's a standard transmission. And so when you understand how that moves a little bit, the, the transmission and the gears, they fit together. And they're opposite one another. And so they come together, the one in the other. And they begin to turn. That flywheel, the transmission, the motor has all the power in it. But if you don't engage the transmission, it doesn't go anywhere. If you just stay in neutral, you're not going anywhere. But when you engage, you engage, first of all, at the smallest level. But if you're going to continue to go on, you know, those gears are smaller. You shift and the gear gets bigger. And so there's actually more power, less revolutions, and so it starts the momentum. And so as you keep growing together, you, you uh, disengage from smaller things and engage in larger things. But you know, if you just get off just a little bit, and you don't engage right, there is the most uh, blood-curdling, cringing sound that takes place. We call it grinding the gears. Because people don't create the right momentum and the right time to shift into the next area of their marriage, all of a sudden it just starts getting ugly because they're fighting a, a struggle and all of a sudden it starts to grind. And just in the spirit feeling that grinding, you're like, ah. And you know what we tend to do instead of just pushing the clutch in and waiting and getting it right? <laughs> Oh, oh, okay, we got it. We try to force it into gear. Now, most of you don't understand this, and so I don't know how we'll demonstrate it because we've gone to so much automatic transmission. Automatic. So we just think marriage should be an automatic. But it's not. We have to engage. 
And sometimes, you know, when you just stay the same, if you just stayed in first gear, as you elevated speed, your RPMs would just go up. It would work harder, but it would eventually just blow, blow the thing out. So many times we just try to stay the same, and then we're like, oh my gosh, everything is so busy, oh my God. <laughs> Instead of saying, you know what? We're coming together better. It's time to shift into another mode. And all of a sudden we pull. And we begin to move farther because we engage and we begin to solve the problem. We create a momentum that gets going. And then some people just want a a good marriage. You know, I just want a good marriage. And so they try to start in fourth gear. And so their marriage is always going... They're like, why is because you're trying to start with ever, without ever starting at the beginning. So, problems are opportunities to find the right gear, to find the right rhythm, and then to know what the rhythms of your marriage and the change are, so that you can sense them, disengage as the RPM comes up, and then shift into a higher gear, which creates a momentum, which creates your influence of others in in the life of God and the love of God begins to be easier as we go through life. Number two, caring for yourself is not selfish. Again, we talked about that. If you understand what God's done for you, who you are in Christ, your availability, the the love of God, uh, you you, uh, take care of yourself, spirit, soul, and body. Why? Because when you understand covenant, I have a part to play. And I want to bring my best. I want to bring my best physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I want to bring my best to my covenant partner. If we both do that, we're going to do that. So uh, it's not selfish when you're taking care of yourself in the right manner. If you're only thinking of yourself, then that's not right. But if you're taking care of yourself to bring the best to the covenant, the marriage relationship, then that's what's needed. If you don't have it, you can't give it. If you don't have it, you can't give it. And so there in Ephesians 5, it says that a man should care for his wife as he cares for himself. So if he doesn't care about himself, he's not going to care for his wife. But if he loves himself, he loves his wife. Why? Because they're two are one. Number three, love each other in all of its dimensions. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 1 Corinthians chapter 13, such a powerful portion of Scripture. Praise the Lord. When we look at it in in all of its totality. And so, you know, he goes on to, to talk about this. Well, we need to turn over there just for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. As poetic as it is, as much as we read portions or all of it at a wedding, uh, this is really an outline of God to let us know how to grow and mature in the love of God. He said, put on love, which is the bond of completeness. But many times we're locked into human love. We're simply locked into uh, brotherly love or brotherly kindness and courtesies that exist. But he says, don't just stop at brotherly love. Add to brotherly love the love of God. The love of God. It's what binds everything together. The very character of God. When we even talk about a threefold cord in marriage. That you have the husband and the wife. The thirdfold cord is God. But God is love. 
So putting this God kind of love. He said, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. We said this last week, communication. Though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and knowledge. And though I have all a faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, uh, I am nothing. Again, you can be as gifted as you want, but without love, it really is nothing. And though I give, bestow all my goods to feed the poor, though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. You can say you're the only one giving into the marriage, but if it's selfishly, it won't benefit you at all. So he goes on to say, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Wow. Then you can read it from the Amplified. It even gets more. It says it thinks no evil. It says it doesn't take an account of a wrong done. Oh my God. Wait a minute. Love's going a little bit too far. <laughs> love in all of its ways, all of its facets. To think about love, not just about yourself, but the broadness, the, the application of love and the difference that the application of love makes in any covenant relationship, but especially in a marriage. So I want to read from this book. It's a, just a tiny book. You can find it in the bookstore. Mark Hankins rec recommended it. So I got it. Actually, he gave me a copy, an old copy of it. We've asked our staff to read it. But there's a number of times I'm discipling a young man, and I'll say, just get this book and read this book. And this isn't a very big book. But the difficulty of reading this book astonishes me. <laughs> like, here's a simple read. Take this and read this. Have you read that yet? Nope. Months later, have you read that yet? No, I just don't have time. How much time does it take to read that book? But when you read that book, you're going to read that book again. It's a great book on the love of God. And so he says this. Uh, I'm just going to read a little bit out of this because really when we talk about the mindset of love, it can help us. We can read that. We can go, oh, I know that. I've read 1 Corinthians 13 plenty of times. I mean, I've read 1 Corinthians 13 at least once a year in my daily, uh, my yearly Bible reading. I mean, I listen to it every time. There's, I know what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Well, you might know what it says, but can you apply it? So in our marriage, it's so important. So he says this. He says, so much for the analysis of love. He's just broke that down. He said, now the business of our lives is to have these things fitted into our character. Fitted into our character. That, that is the supreme work to which we need to address ourselves in this world. To learn love. Is life not full of opportunities for learning love? Every man and woman, every day, has a thousand of them. The world is not a playground, it's a schoolroom. Life is not a holiday, but an education. And the one eternal lesson from all is how better we can love. What makes a man a good cricketer? Practice. What makes a man a good artist, a good sculptor, a good musician? Practice. What makes a man a good linguist, a good stenographer? Practice. What makes a man a good, uh, what makes a man a good man? Practice. Nothing else. 
There is nothing capricious about religion. We do not get the soul in different ways, under different laws, from those in which we get the body and the mind. If a man does not exercise his arm, he develops no bicep. Now, Jonathan's been exercising his arms. He's wearing a sweater, so you can't see. He's being very humble. Come on, we all exercise. He said, the spirit's not different. God created us as triune being, and the principles work the same. He said, so you don't get any uh, uh, muscle there without uh, uh, working out. If he does not exercise his soul, he acquires no muscle in his soul, no strength of character, no vigor, no moral fiber, no beauty of spiritual growth. Love is not a thing of enthusiastic emotion. It is a rich, strong, manly, vigorous expression of the whole round Christian character, the Christ-like nature in its fullest development. And the constituents of this great character are only to be built up by ceaseless practice. So 1 Corinthians is simply the fundamentals of love. So if I was going to go coach a baseball team, the first thing that we would do is practice the fundamentals. So for marriage, if we just practice, we have a mindset. Just practice being kind to one another. <laughs> the room's filled like, eh, ain't going to work. <laughs> or, I'm kind, but they'll probably never be kind. I just said kind to one another. That means if I'm talking to me, I have to practice being kind, not worry about if she's practicing being kind. Because whether she practices or not, my practice is going to develop Christ's character in me. And this is where we've missed the mindset of marriage. I'll only do it if they do it. I'll respect if they love. I'll love if they respect. Well, nobody's going anywhere. Waiting on the other person. And so it would be a great thing just to get 1 Corinthians out and say, Okay, here, where do I start practicing? Where do I start practicing? Love's not touchy or fretful. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. In other words, you know, we could put it this way. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. When things aren't right, it's not a good thing. But it rejoices in truth. Love is always looking for the truth of what it should be and what God has said and how things need to be. It's not just saying, well, this is the way it is. I don't care. Love is searching for that. It's not taking an account of a wrong done to it. So many things. Mindset is to just say, we need to learn to love each other in all of its facets. Number four. Intimacy is the key, not sex. Sometimes we talk about intimacy, that's where our mind goes immediately, but God doesn't go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, Paul ends his letter with this. He says, now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. 
Amen. Now, again, he's talking about the communion of the Holy Spirit. He's, he's talking about this relationship aspect of it. Again, when we look at the relationship aspect, communion with the Holy Spirit, he's talking about the intimate relationship. That word koinonia means intimacy, but it also means partnership and it means shared responsibility. Shared responsibility. So often we're putting the responsibility off of us. But intimacy, when we begin to communicate with one another, we begin to find out our strengths and our weaknesses. We begin to partner together based on strengths and weaknesses, taking time to communicate, taking time to yield to one another's gifts, figure out how they fit together instead of grinding the gears, find out and go, wow, that fit pretty good. You fitting there and me fitting there. We're starting to create some momentum. So now there's a shared responsibility, knowing the intimacy, knowing the strengths and the weaknesses, knowing how we fit together. Then there's a shared responsibility. You do your part, I'll do my part. Not you do your part and I'll wait to see if it works, then I'll do my part. You do your part, you do my, I'll do my part. And when we're doing our part and we take time to get it right, we intimately fit together and we begin to engage and create strength. We utilize the power from the engine, the power of the Holy Ghost to enter, to engage, and to begin to pull life forward. And as we do that properly, as we intimately engage with the power of God, not letting anything get in the way, not grinding the gears, but intimately fitting as we ought to fit, now the momentum begins to increase and God begins to grow and our influence and the speed and the ease at which we move through life becomes better and better and better. So the relationship, the physical relationship is just a, a, a physical sign of what should be going on spiritually and emotionally. We should be engaging one another intimately and emotionally and spiritually engaging one another. And then the physical relationship is an outward sign of one flesh union. Number five. Your relationship has a life of its own. Though you can read the principles and look at the principles, you look at all the things that have to do with marriage. You can read Ephesians 5, read Malachi chapter 2. You can read 1 Peter chapter 3. We've looked at all those. Your marriage, because you came from a certain place, you have a different gifting. Your, your genders are different. He says it's a great mystery how two become one. How do you two become one? What is the uniqueness of the effect that God has called you to have upon your family, upon your culture, upon your neighborhood? What is it? That God's called you to do. Because everything is not the same for every single marriage or every single person. So how do we fit together? So often we let that be a frustration to us. Because it has a life of its own. It's moving. I call it a moving target. Marriage is a moving target. It has its own life. It has its own time things that happen. Things happen in life. Things happen in marriage. Dear Lord. Man, about the time you think you have it figured out, something happens. I mean, you think just, you know, 
You think you have it figured out if you're married and you're in love and you're, you're just infatuated, you're having a great time, and you decide you want to have children, and then all of a sudden, you know, whoo, decide to have a baby. Your wife gets pregnant. That's awesome. And then something happens. And I remember when we uh, first got pregnant, and I came home one day, and well, actually, I was going to go fishing. Um, whoo, that turned out to be a rough day. I like to go fishing. And so we just came back from the store one day. I said, I'm going to go fishing. He said, all right, if I go fishing, yeah, go fishing. So that seemed good. We had a loft there. She went upstairs. She said, yeah, go fishing. Just leave me here all by myself. Just go fishing. So I'm like, hey, if you don't want me to go fishing, I'm like, oh, go fishing. Just go fishing. I'm like, all right. Then I started to get my stuff ready. Yeah. Yeah, you have to ask. You don't just know. I mean, if you have to ask if you can go fishing, just go fishing. I'm like, hey, I don't have to go fishing if you don't want me to go fishing. Just go fishing. Finally, I just left my fishing stuff. I left. I called Pastor Craig. Nobody was home. I walked up to his house from our apartment by the high school. He lived up on Traver Trail. Went up there. Nobody's home. I just sat on the porch. They drive up in the driveway. He walks past on their stairs. He goes, come in. <laughs> we sit down. He's like, what's up? I said, I think Tasha's gone crazy. <laughs> he said, oh, she's not crazy. She's just pregnant. Now, don't take offense. Everybody's like, yeah, we can talk about it. And he told me, he said, oh, yeah, everybody deals with it. But most men don't tell other men because they figure if they got to deal with it, you're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> so I didn't know this. Nobody explained to me how things are changing. It's not just having a baby. Everything changes in their body, emotionally, physically, all those things. He said, you'll probably go home and she'll act like nothing ever happened. So I'm like, okay, I have a little understanding here. I go home. She's sitting doing a cross stitch. Hey, where'd you go? said, I went to see Pastor Craig. Then I look over at the, Christian, uh, or the kitchen counter. And this brand new pair of sunglasses I bought is all tied up in a knot. <laughs> and the lenses are laying there. I said, what happened to my glasses? And she said, uh, when you left, I just pictured they were you. <laughs> and now I feel better. I said, well, I'm glad I left then. Now, I know that never happened to any of you. We've had a, a quite an exciting life. But, you know, you get through that, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we got through that. And she was like, she's like the funniest person. When she's pregnant, she is like hilarious. Pastor Craig used to have her up because he has a dry sense of humor. She would laugh at every joke. But then you have children, and they're just little babies, and you love that. And then all of a sudden, they're teenagers, and all of a sudden, they leave home. And that all affects you in your marriage, how you relate to one another, how you navigate. It's a moving target, and everybody's children are every different, and they're going through different circumstances. And you just have to know our marriage has a mind of its own. And if we can figure out what the mind of our marriage is and the, the flow and the rhythm and, and the course of our marriage and what God has planned for our marriage, we can go with it. We can go with it. Number six, you can't change your spouse. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. The whole idea there is, you know what? You usually misinterpret what you're going to change about them because you have stuff in your own life. You project that. But the whole idea is not to change them, but to help them 
in situations where they're looking to grow. To help them to remove a speck from their eye. Number seven, make marriage a priority. Make marriage a priority. Let that be your mindset. Make marriage a priority. God created marriage, not you. God thinks it to be holy. Make it a priority. Most of the time people get married and they never go any farther than that. They think we should live happily ever after. But make marriage a priority. Learn about marriage. Go to marriage small groups. Uh, Well, my marriage is good. Even if it's good, keep learning, keep growing, keep understanding, read books. Make it a priority. Why? Because it's incredibly important to God. Your covenant relationship's important. Most people settle in to however it is. They never make it a priority. It never really grows. They never say, let's get growing in our marriage. Let's continue to burst forth and see what the next step and the next place is in our marriage that we could keep it growing. Number eight, forgiveness and gratitude make for a happier marriage. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and we've said this all the way through. Malachi chapter 3, it says you, you look at your, you, you know, you whine and you snivel, you pray and you're not getting an answer. First Peter says that your prayers can be hindered if your marriage life isn't going very well. And so here in Matthew, or Mark chapter 11, he's talking about praying in faith, moving mountains over your life, whatever you can have, whatever you say. But he said in the same place that you're praying and saying, I can have whatever I say, mountain be thou removed. He said, if you have aught in your heart against any, or if you have anything against anyone, forgive. Because if you don't forgive, your Father in heaven cannot forgive you. Not anything against anyone. Not anything against anyone. I've dealt with this in different aspects in different time. I just want to give you this and then we'll close. Because it's so important. So many people are stuck in their marriage. Because they simply go, like, I forgive. But they're just saying, whatever. I'm not going to deal with it. They don't really forgive. And they're jammed up. Not anything against anyone. Do you know it's a lot easier for me to say, I don't have anything against Jonathan. And then not see him. Except for once a week. Than it is to say, I don't have anything against you. Because things keep happening. And some of the same things keep happening. (laughs) And so we allow those to be things that we have against our spouse. And so he said, listen, he didn't just say, oh, somebody out there that you don't forgive. He said anything against anybody. That means don't you hold anything against your spouse. Why? Because if you do, you don't get any traction with God. He cannot forgive you. He cannot forgive you. Come on. Not anything against anybody. Man, I'm sorry to say I get pummeled with this. Just those little things. 37 years. You could have some things. He says you're not going to get any traction right there. Continuing to bring that back up. So in Philippians 4, or, or Ephesians 4, he said, forgive even as Christ has forgiven you. Amen. Forgiving even as Christ has forgiven you. Whew, praise the Lord. How has Christ forgiven you? He's cast it as far as the east is from the west to remember it no more. Well, that's easy for him to do. He doesn't have to live with your spouse every day. 
No, he lives with you every day. And the thing that you did yesterday that he forgave you of, he doesn't remember today. You remember today. But if we could get his mindset and forget about it, we wouldn't repeat the offense over and over and over again. So he says, you got to forgive and forget like I forgive and forget. But see, we just get to that point. But then he also says in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, he says, forgive my debt even as I forgive my debtor. So just take a moment and ask yourself, do I want God to forgive me in the same way that I'm forgiving my spouse? Or do I want him to have that in the back of his mind about me all the time when things go wrong so he can bring it up? And if I'm just saying this for me, thank you for helping me. Y'all look at me like, oh, we never do that. So it must just be me. But you can never really get to gratitude and thanksgiving for the person that God has given you if you're carrying a cart of things that have happened over the years. It's tough to stop and go, thank you, Jesus, for my spouse. When I found a wife, I found a good thing, and I found favor with you. Man, thank you for the wife of my youth. Thank you for joining us in covenant. Thank you that I have a part that connects with me, that creates a greater power in my life and demonstration in my life. Thank you. But it's very difficult to have gratitude if you haven't forgiven. That's why these two go together. Praise the Lord. We almost got done. Why don't you stand up? Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you. such importance. Father, I pray for each and every person here. Holy Spirit, you create a greater covenant mindset that we might grow in the relationship with you. I pray over every marriage here. I plead the blood of Jesus over every marriage. The potential of power that exists in that union. God, I pray that there would be a healing. I plead the blood right now that there would be a healing of things that have happened. I pray that there would be a healing of wounds that have been inflicted, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Things that were broken down by strategies of the enemy. Right now, a new day. A new day. A new day. I declare a new day. A new day. I know, God, I know in their mind, can it be a new day? Give them a new mindset, a new mindset to believe, to believe in you, to believe in your mighty power, to believe in the power of the blood, to restore, to restore a year of restoration. I declare restoration to marriages in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Restoration. We plead the blood over marriages. We command restoration of the original intent no matter what's happened that the original intent the covenant nothing missing nothing broken restoration 
Holy Spirit, work on the heart of every wife. It's been wounded. Bind up the broken heart by the anointing. Bring faith and confidence to her. Not to stand against, but to stand with. Amen. For every husband who's, who's worked, felt like he was unappreciated, un, not respected. God put back in him that which you imparted to love and to lead. To love and to lead. Wipe away all that's happened supernaturally by the blood. Sanctify and cleanse. That in that restoration, the enemy of the marriage, the enemy of each soul would be put underfoot where he belongs. Instead of reigning in the thoughts and the minds in our head, that he would be cast down where he belongs, under our feet. Amen. So we thank you. I declare restoration for marriages in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, if you need prayer, further prayer for your marriage, altar workers will be up here just to agree with you, to join with you. If you need prayer for healing, they'll be up here. Whatever you may have a need of prayer for, altar workers will be up here to pray with you. Say this, we go, what God did in Christ Jesus? Far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great day.